Well, welcome again to another podcast, Down to Earth, but Heavenly Minded. I'm your host, Irv Risch. And as we move forward, we're going to be going through the entire New Testament. Uh, and with that, we're going to do a commentary afterwards. And uh, with that said, let us just move on to our next section. And thank you for joining me. Chapter 12 And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, and dug a pit for the winepress, and built a tower, and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head, and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius, and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring, and the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, Whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. 
And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? and the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes, and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Mark chapter 12 F. Parable of the Wicked Vinedressers, 12 colon 1 12 12 colon 1 The Lord Jesus was not through with the Jewish authorities, even if he had refused to answer their question. He now delivered, in the form of parables, a stinging indictment of them for their rejection of God's Son. The man who planted a vineyard was God himself. The vineyard was the place of privilege then occupied by Israel. The hedge was the law of Moses, which separated Israel from the Gentiles and preserved them as a distinct people for the Lord. The vinedressers were the religious leaders, such as the Pharisees, the scribes, and the elders. 12 colon 2, 5 Repeatedly, God sent His servants, the prophets, to the people of Israel, seeking fellowship, holiness, and love. But the people persecuted the prophets and killed some of them. 12 colon 6, 8 Finally God sent His beloved Son. Surely they would respect Him. But they didn't. 
they plotted against him and finally killed him. Thus the Lord predicted his own death and exposed his guilty murderers. 12.9 What would God do with such wicked men? He would destroy them and give the place of privilege to others. The others here may refer to the Gentiles or to the repentant remnant of Israel in the last days. 12.10 11 All this was in fulfillment of the OT scriptures. In Psalm 118 verses 22 and 23, for example, it was prophesied that the Messiah would be rejected by the Jewish leaders in their building plans. They would have no place for this stone. But following his death, he would be raised from the dead and given the place of preeminence by God. He would be made the chief cornerstone in God's building. 12.12 The Jewish leaders got the point. They believed that Psalm 118 spoke of the Messiah. Now they heard the Lord Jesus applying it to himself. They sought to lay hands on him, but his time had not come. The multitude would have taken sides with Jesus. So the religious leaders left him for the time being. G. Rendering to Caesar and to God, 12 colon 13, 17. Chapter 12 contains attacks on the Lord by the Pharisees and Herodians and by the Sadducees. It is a chapter of questions. See verses 9, 10, 14, 15, 16, 23, 24, 26, 28, 35, 37. 12, 13, 14 The Pharisees and the Herodians, bitter foes, were now brought together by a common hatred of the Savior. They desperately tried to inveigle him into saying something which they could use as a charge against him. So they asked him if it was lawful to pay taxes to the Roman government. No Jews particularly enjoyed living under Gentile rule. The Pharisees hated it with a passion, whereas the Herodians adopted a more tolerant view. If Jesus openly endorsed paying tribute to Caesar, he would alienate many of the Jews. If he spoke against Caesar, they would hustle him to the Roman authorities for arrest and trial as a traitor. 12.15, 16 Jesus asked someone to bring him a denarius. Apparently he himself did not have one. The coin bore the image of Tiberius Caesar, a reminder to the Jews that they were a conquered, subject people. Why were they in this condition? Because of their unfaithfulness and sin. They should have been humbled at having to admit that the coins they used bore the image of a Gentile dictator. 12.17 Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Their great failure had not been in the first area but in the second. They had paid their Roman taxes, though reluctantly, but had disregarded the claims of God on their lives. The coin had Caesar's image on it, and therefore belonged to Caesar. Man has God's image on him, God created man in his own image, Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27, and therefore belongs to God. The believer is to obey and support the government under which he lives. He is not to speak evil of his rulers or work to overthrow the government. He is to pay taxes and pray for those in authority. If called on to do anything that would violate his higher loyalty to Christ, he is to refuse and to bear the punishment. The claims of God must come first. In upholding those claims, the Christian should always maintain a good testimony before the world. H. The Sadducees and their Resurrection Riddle, 12 18 12.18 The Sadducees were the liberals or rationalists of that day. They scoffed at the idea of bodily resurrection. So they came to the Lord with a preposterous story, trying to ridicule the whole idea. 
12.19 They reminded Jesus that the law of Moses made special provision for widows in Israel. In order to preserve the family name and to keep the property in the family, the law stipulated that if a man died childless, his brother should marry the widow, Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 to 10. 12 colon 20 at 23 here was a fantastic case in which a woman married seven brothers, one after the other. Then last of all she died. Now, for their clever question. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? 1224 They thought they were smart. The Savior told them they were abysmally ignorant of both the scriptures which teach resurrection and the power of God which raises the dead. 1225 First they should know that the marriage relationship does not continue in heaven. Believers will recognize one another in heaven and will not lose their distinctions as men and women, but they will neither marry nor give in marriage. In that respect, they will resemble the angels in heaven. 1226, 27 Then our Lord took the Sadducees, who valued the books of Moses above the rest of the OT, back to the account of Moses at the burning bush, Exodus 3 verse 6. Their God spoke of himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The Savior used this to show that God was the God of the living, not of the dead. But how so? Weren't Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob dead when God appeared to Moses? Yes, their bodies were in the cave of Machpelah in Hebron. How then is God the God of the living? The argument seems to be this. 1. God had made promises to the patriarchs concerning the land and concerning the Messiah. 2. These promises were not fulfilled during their lifetimes. 3. When God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, the bodies of the patriarchs were in the grave. 4. Yet God spoke of himself as the God of the living. 5. He must fulfill his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 6. Therefore, resurrection is an absolute necessity from what we know of the character of God. And so the Lord's parting word to the Sadducees was, You are therefore greatly mistaken. I of the Great Commandment, 12 colon 28, 34. 1228 One of the scribes, impressed by our Lord's adroit handling of his critics' questions, asked Jesus which is the most important commandment. It was an honest question, and, in some ways, life's most basic question. He was really asking for a concise statement of the chief aim of man's existence. 1229 Jesus began by quoting from the Shema, a Jewish statement of faith taken from Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 1230 Then, he summed up man's responsibility to God, love him with the entirety of one's heart, soul, mind, and strength. God is to have the supreme place in man's life. No other love can be allowed to rival love for God. 1231 The other half of the Ten Commandments teaches us to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to love God more than ourselves, and our neighbor as ourselves. Thus, the life that really counts is concerned first with God, then with others. Material things are not mentioned. God is important and people are important. 1232, 33 The scribe agreed heartily, stating with commendable clarity that love to God and to one's neighbor were far more important than rituals. He realized that people could go through religious ceremonies and put on a public display of piety without inward, personal holiness. He acknowledged that God is concerned with what a man is inwardly as well as outwardly. 1234 When Jesus heard this remarkable observation, he told the scribe that he was not far from the kingdom of God.
True subjects of the kingdom do not try to deceive God, their fellowmen, or themselves with external religion. Realizing that God looks on the heart, they go to Him for cleansing from sin and for power to live in a manner pleasing to Him. After this, no one dared to trap the Lord Jesus by asking Him leading questions. J. David's son is David's Lord, 12-35-37. The scribes had always taught that the Messiah would be a lineal descendant of David. Though true, this was not the whole truth. So the Lord Jesus now posed a problem to those gathered around him in the temple court. In Psalm 110 verse 1, David spoke of the coming Messiah as his Lord. How could this be? How could the Messiah be David's son and his Lord at the same time? To us the answer is clear. The Messiah would be both man and God. As David's son, he would be human. As David's Lord, he would be divine. The common people heard him gladly. Apparently, they were willing to accept the fact, even if they might not have understood it fully. But nothing is said of the Pharisees and scribes. Their silence is ominous. K. Warning Against the Scribes, 12-38-40 The scribes were outwardly religious. They loved to parade in long robes. This distinguished them from the common herd and gave them a sanctimonious appearance. They loved to be greeted with high-sounding titles in public places. It did something for their ego. They sought the places of honor in the synagogues as if physical location had something to do with godliness. They not only wanted religious prominence, but social distinction as well. They wanted the best places at feasts. 1240 Inwardly, they were greedy and insincere. They robbed widows of property and livelihood in order to enrich themselves, pretending the money was for the Lord. They recited long prayers, great swelling words of vanity, prayers of words alone. In short, they loved peculiarity, long robes, popularity, greetings, prominence, best seats, priority, best places, possessions, widows' houses, mock piety, long prayers. L of the Widows' Two Mites, 12 colon 41 44 in vivid contrast to the scribe's avarice was this widow's devotion. They devoured widows' houses, she gave all that she had to the Lord. The incident shows the omniscience of the Lord. Watching the rich people dropping sizable gifts into the chest for the temple treasury, he knew that their giving did not represent a sacrifice. They gave out of their abundance. Knowing also that the two mites she gave was her livelihood, he announced that she gave more than all the rest put together. As regards monetary value, she gave very little. But the Lord estimates giving by our motive, our means, and by how much we have left. This is a great encouragement to those who have few material possessions, but a great desire to give to Him. Amazing how we can approve the widow's action and agree with the Savior's verdict without imitating her example. If we really believed what we say we believe, we would do exactly what she did. Her gift expressed her conviction that all belonged to the Lord, that He was worthy of all, that He must have all. Many Christians today would criticize her for not providing for her future. Did this show a lack of foresight and prudence? So men would argue. But this is the life of faith plunging all into the work of God now and trusting Him for the future. Did He not promise to provide for those who seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Matthew 6 verse 33 Radical? Revolutionary? 
Unless we see that the teachings of Christ are radical and revolutionary, we have missed the emphasis of his ministry. Well, this ends another one of our podcasts. And until uh, next time, just remember, God is out here. And you can find out all about him in your Bibles. All you have to do is pick it up and read it. I have mine right here. And uh, God is in this Bible. So please read it. With that said, bye for now. Till next time.